Thank you. Uh, yeah, that's what I wanted. Well, good morning. It's wonderful to be here in Malaysia. And uh, I thank you for putting on some English weather this morning. Um, makes me feel, makes us feel very much at home. Um, over the weekend, we've been thinking about spiritual formation. Um, growing as Christians into the image of Jesus Christ. And this is a standalone talk that I want to give you, uh, but it also fits in with what happened over the weekend. And I want to do this out of the book of Ephesians. Um, I wonder if you consider yourself a powerful person. Are you a powerful person? I'm going to take a risk. Uh, how many of you think you're a powerful person? Raise, raise your hand. Some bold hands. How many of you think, um, I am not so powerful? Just, uh, that would be a quiet hand. A few of you. How many of you got no idea whether you're a powerful person or not? Raise your hand. That's the majority, I think. Well, I want to talk about power this morning, uh, particularly as to how it fits into our spiritual formation. Because uh, humans have been obsessed by the idea of power since the book of Genesis, early on. Obtaining power is very popular. It's certainly popular in America and certainly in London. And you can read all these books by uh, power gurus. Uh, one book by a man called um, Paul McKenna. He's written a book called I Can Change Your Life in Seven Days. He's written another book called I Can Make You Rich. And another book called I Can Make You Thin. <laughs> Why wouldn't you read those books? Uh, there's a more famous uh, guy called Anthony Robbins, an American. He's written similar sorts of books, Unlimited Power, Unshakable. And most of these books are about power and how it works in us and through us. Some people have found these books helpful. Uh, others have not found them so helpful. So I want to just quickly take you through some forms of power that you may or may not have. The first one is positional authority. If somebody says to you, uh, you are father, or you are boss, or you are pastor, then you are put in a position of authority. The name is given to you of power, and you can operate your power out of that name, out of that position. So maybe you think, I have no power, but your name is mother. And so you have maybe more power than you think. Uh, control of limited resources. You're very powerful if you control limited resources. If you control the money, you're quite powerful. 
If you control the time, you're quite powerful. My wife is very powerful. She makes a cake. I say I'll have a slice. She says, no, it's for dinner tonight. And she exercises her power over me of this limited resource called cake. You're very powerful if you have knowledge and use of rules and regulations. Lawyers are very powerful. And they're usually powerful because they know the law and they are able to exercise some power over those who are ignorant of the law. So if you know the rules and regulations, you are very powerful. If you don't, then you lose your power. If you don't know how the, how the world works, how things are supposed to work, you become less powerful. Control of knowledge and information makes you very powerful. When you withhold information from somebody or something, that's an exercise of power. Controlling what you know. Um, if you are educated, that gives you a kind of power. You're more powerful in speech, more powerful in knowledge. You've gathered this power through control of knowledge and information. You're powerful if you control the boundaries of anything. Anybody who controls the boundaries is very powerful. How many of you have traveled abroad out of Malaysia? All of you, maybe not quite all, but most. Um, there are border guards around Malaysia who control who gets in and who gets out. I've met them. I'll meet them again a, a week on Monday. And they do a good job in protecting your country. And we all control boundaries in one form or other. Uh, I was invited to speak at a church a few years ago in India. And um, after I'd finished preaching, they said to me, uh, would you like to join our church? I said, no, thank you. I've got my own church in England. That's not necessary. And then they said, no, you don't understand our question. Would you like to join the church? And this little church in India, 200 people, believed they were the only real Christians in the whole world. So they were asking me, really, do I want to become a Christian? And they were controlling the boundaries. And so if you control the boundaries, you're a very powerful person. Uh, if you're able to cope with uncertainty, you're generally powerful. Uh, if you are rigid and cannot move, the less power you operate. Control of technology. Whoever controls the technology is powerful, uh, particularly these days. Through our smartphones, through Facebook, through Instagram, all of what we've got makes us really powerful. Whoever says we're going to do this digitally is powerful. Control of inter 
personal alliances and networks. You may not think you're powerful, but you actually may be more powerful than you know because you are in the middle of an alliance or a network. Years ago, when I was at my first church pastoring, uh, we had all men on the leadership team. And um, we made some decisions. We met again a month later, and all the decisions had changed. And I said to these guys, uh, what happened? How come you've changed? And they looked at me and said, well, we talked this over with our wives. And I found out they went home, shared this information with their wives. The wives got together in a coffee shop, had a little meeting, came back, told the husbands what to do, and it came back to me. Uh, that was very powerful. Whoever says women can do this and men do this, that's an act of power. Whoever controls gender relationships is very powerful. And then the final one, the power you already have. It may be personal charisma, it may be talent, it may be you're somehow attractive to others in some other way, and you find yourself being powerful. So you are more powerful than you know. All of those powers that I've just mentioned are contested. Each of us operates some of those powers in some way. You are not weak. You are not useless. God has granted you the power to choose, the power to engage, the power to operate power. And if you're going to grow as a Christian, you'll need to become familiar with these powers and how they work in you and how you work them and how God touches them and works with you in the middle of them. But I want to share with you this morning something from Ephesians that puts all of that into context. Because I've outlined some critical powers, but I want to share with you some power for the weak. Power for those who are bowed down by responsibility. Power for those who are struggling with debt. Power for people who are maybe suffering from addictions. Power for people who are fearful about their health. And I want to share with you four sources of power that come out of this Ephesians text. Uh, they're given to us, this power is not given to us because we know how to manipulate or because we know how to control the boundaries or because we're lawyers and know the rules. Uh, this power is given to us like the rain has come this morning. The powers I'm now going to talk about are handed to us as gift. They are handed to us like a wet wonderful morning. They are handed to us by God as a gift of love so that we may be able to live our lives strongly and well. And Paul prays for the Ephesians. What we've had read to us is a prayer. And he focuses his prayer really around three things that set this up. 
He says, I want you to have a spirit of wisdom. I want you to have a spirit of revelation. And I want, and he uses this startling phrase, I want the eyes of your heart to be opened. I want the eyes of your heart to be opened. It's a startling image. As though your heart has got eyes and your heart can be opened and you can see things from your heart. And he then leads them through four sources of power that are all related to who Jesus is and how he works. And the first one is this, Christ ahead. If you want a powerful life, it will be because you grasp what it says in verse 19 of our reading. You may want to look at it. There's a line that says this, that Paul's praying that they may have the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what he's saying is, what I want you to know, what I want you to get is a vision of the future that is to do with Christ being ahead of you, that is to do with an inheritance that is ahead of you. An inheritance is something that comes from your parents, but it's there in the future, something you pick up later on. And he says, I want you to get this picture of this inheritance that's ahead, that you have a future. It's a glorious inheritance that he's explaining. So what is this future? What is ahead of us? When you read scripture, you find out there is this remarkable picture of the future. In Revelation 7 verse 9, it describes this huge future for us that there will be a multitude that no man can number from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and the Lamb and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. So if you're feeling weak this morning, if you're feeling unable to stand, if you're feeling depleted, then what Scripture says to you is Put the eyes of your heart on the future. And the future is Christ ahead of us. Is Christ before us. Christ who has gone ahead. And if you know this, this starts to give you power. Why is it so powerful? It's so powerful because it fills your heart with hope. It fills your heart with the knowledge that the future is not a gambling game. It's not a question of picking little straws out and seeing who's got the longest or the shortest. What's ahead of us is this future that is being built for us through Jesus Christ. And if you know that what's ahead of you is a new heaven and a new earth, if you know that ahead of you is this inheritance, then that changes your relationship with how you deal with your money. It changes your relationship with how you deal with your family. It changes your relationship with how you deal with all the powers that we've just talked about. 
when you realize that there is this huge future, Christ ahead, that transforms how we operate our lives now. The second thing that Paul says is really Christ behind. And he says this in verse 20. He references, he talks about the power which he extended in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So he's saying to them, Ephesians, church, you can get power out of understanding what has already happened, what is behind you. So what is behind you this morning? What has already taken place that gives you power? And Paul says, what's behind you is the power of the resurrection. That Jesus Christ has died and has risen, risen from the dead. And we are living with resurrection power. Power that comes from the past. That pushes us forward. Power that comes to us from all of what Jesus has done on the cross. Power that raised him from the dead. Paul says is available to us now. And is moving us towards this future that's ahead of us. Jesus says of himself, I am the resurrection and the life. So we're living in this land of resurrection. We're living in a land where our master and Lord is risen from the dead. And that resurrection power is pushing us from the back. Why is this so powerful? It's powerful because if the spirit of the resurrected and ascended Christ lives in us, then everything he touches in us comes to life. It means nothing is impossible with God. It means anything can happen now. So here are two images that start to get hold of this issue of power. Christ ahead of us, Christ behind with resurrection power, moving us on towards our future. The third one is Christ above. And he says this in verse 21. His prayer is that they may be able to understand that far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and title, and a name that is given is not only about the present age, but also in the age to come. And he has this image that Christ is not only ahead, not only behind, he is also above. He is also far above all rule and authority. He is powerful over every dominion, all the works of Satan, all the works of evil people that he is above all of this. And it's really signifying that he is the Lord of all of what's going on. In Philippians verse, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth, 
and under the earth. So why is this so powerful if Christ is above? It's so powerful because if you know that the King of kings and Lord of lords dwells in you and that he is also Lord above, then this shapes everything you know about yourself. This shapes your identity. This shapes the way in which you engage with the world. If you live under his name, under his authority, you understand that you are no longer the center of your own life, that he is the center, he is the one who is above, and he is the one who rules over all. So Christ ahead, Christ behind, Christ above, Christ below. He explains in verse 22, my prayer for you is that you will see, the eyes of your heart will be opened so that you will see all things under his feet appointed to him to be head over everything for the church. And the picture is this, that everything, everything is at the feet of Jesus. Everything. That's, what, that's the picture he's trying to draw. That all things are under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church. Everything is at his feet. Christ below. Can you see his feet? At his feet is everything. At his feet is your next breath. At his feet is Google. At his feet is Facebook. At his feet is China. At his feet is America. At his feet is the European Union. At his feet is the Archbishop of Canterbury, my boss. At his feet is every philosopher that has ever lived. At his feet is every government of whatever type. And they're at his feet. Why is this so powerful? Because it addresses our fears. If everything is at his feet, then in a deep, profound way, there is no need for me to be afraid. He is the controller, the shaper of these things. Oh, there may be fears along the way, and there may be challenges along the way, but ultimately, everything is at his feet. So there is no need to be afraid. There is no need to be intimidated by authority. They are at his feet. So Christ ahead, Christ behind, Christ above, Christ below. And one sentence that brings all of this together that Paul mentions is in verse 19. And that is where he says that we are engaged in the incomparably great power for us who believe. He says, this is what it says in verse 19, that this means that we have incomparably great power for those of us who, may be, who believe. So you may feel really weak this morning. You may feel empty. You may feel you can't take the next step. 
You may be scared of next week. And what Paul is saying is understand your power. Understand the place where you are. But power for what? I want to go through this quite quickly. Throughout the book, he explains power for what? Well, first of all, power for love. In Christ ahead, Christ behind, Christ above, Christ below, that gives you the capacity to be able to love. Power to be humble and gentle and patient. God gives you power to be gentle. He gives you power to be humble. Gives you power to be patient. That's what his power does. A power to live united with others. This is a strong thing. Um, it's not always easy to live with other people. But Paul explains in the book that this power that has come from Christ helps you to live united with others. And we need this to hold the church together, to hold our families together. That he gives us power to be united. Really important power, the next one. Power to no longer be a baby. Power to grow up. Power to not be an adult infant. The children have gone out, yes? Maybe they haven't all gone out. I think you can be 85 and still be a baby because you never grew up. You started, you believed that the world always swings around you and it can come as a great shock when you discover you are not the center of your own life and the baby has to go and the adult has to arrive. Power to choose light over darkness. Power to choose the right path and avoid the bad path. Power to serve and submit. Power doesn't mean that you rule over everything. This is power to submit yourself to other powers. Power to put yourself in a place where you are able to serve. And then power to fight. Ephesians 6. Power to take on dark forces. Power to take on evil. Power to stand. So he gives us all of these powers for what? Christ in front, Christ behind, Christ above, Christ below. And out of that come all of these powers. So how do you get this? How do you get this power? We've had a spiritual formation weekend, which is about God's power working in us and growing in us and developing us. So how do you get it? Uh, I've got a friend of mine who lives in London, and uh, she's about to, she's an ordinand, she's going to become a priest in the Church of England. Um, she had a powerful father who planted a church in a difficult place many years ago, and he died a few years ago. 
And as she was growing up, she was trying to work out what her dad was doing with his life. He was a journalist, very gifted man, but he'd given himself to a quite difficult area in England in which to lead a church. And so she said to her dad one day, uh, she said to him, Dad, what are you doing with your life? What's happening here? And he said to his daughter, um, Madeline, I'm just washing the feet of Jesus. Madeline, I'm just washing the feet of Jesus. And you know when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, um, very powerful image, he switched that. And he said, what I do, what my life is about, is I am going to wash the feet of Jesus. That's what my life's about. My life's not about operating boundaries. My life is not about controlling other people. My life is not about money. My life is not about making sure that I'm number one. My life is about I'm just washing the feet of Jesus. And if you're going to grow as a Christian, I think that's a really useful image. That your invitation as a Christian is to be somebody who approaches Jesus Christ and you wash his feet. In other words, you serve him. So here is one line that I think captures much of what spiritual, how spiritual growth works. A lifelong gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ. That if you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to mature and develop, and there are, you'll get all sorts of advice as to how to do this. I can give you my advice. Others can give you their advice. Your pastors can give you their advice as to how this works. But ultimately, the way in which you will grow, the position you take up, is you commit yourself to a lifelong gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ. That you look at him, you read the Gospels, you read Scripture, you study his life, you put your, the eyes of your heart on him, and you follow him. And as you do that, this incomparably great power that Paul talks about starts to become yours. That's why he can say, when I am weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. Because his eyes are on Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, it says this. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. Let me read that again. Those who wait upon the Lord. In other words, those who gaze on him. 
shall renew their strength. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and shall not faint. So the challenge I want to leave with you is how are you going to arrange your life so you can pursue a lifelong gaze on the beauty of Jesus Christ? How are you going to arrange your life so it's Christ ahead, Christ behind, Christ above, Christ below, as he offers us this power. Let's be silent together.